0: Hello everyone, and welcome to this, uh, the first Africa Now seminar after the summer. Uh, it's arranged by us in Fellesrode for Africa, and my name is Hilda. And today we are going to talk about elections in Kenya and the possibilities and challenges ahead. Um, if you want to know more about the work we do in Fellesrode and you want to volunteer, uh, just reach out to me after the event. And you can see, I've also put some questionnaires on your chairs. So if you can be so kind to fill fill it out, it will help us with our reporting to know that. Um, so today we have uh, with us a very uh, good panel. I'm going to be quite strict with the timekeeping since we are many, uh, but there will be time for questions towards the end. So if you have any feel any good questions popping up, um, underway, just write them down and and you'll get your chance. And uh, when you ask your question, you will come to the stage and ask through the microphone because we're also recording the audio to record it uh, and publish it as a podcast after. So um, hopefully you all know there has been an election in Kenya, or if you don't know, then you'll learn more today. Um, it was a very close, presidential race between Deputy President William Ruto from United Democratic Alliance and Raila Odinga from Orange Democratic Movement, who actually ran for presidency for the fifth time, uh, this time with support from President Kenyatta. And on the 15th of August, the electoral chairman announced that Ruto got 50.49% of the votes against Odinga's 48.85%. Four out of the seven election commissioners rejected the result due to what they called an opaque nature of counting. There has also been allegations from an anonymous whistleblower that the electoral's body service server was hacked and the presidential votes manipulated. By the deadline day on 22nd of August, eight cases were filed at the Supreme Court to contest Bruto's win. And the Supreme Court now has 14 days to deliver judgment on the contested presidential elections, which is this coming Monday. To find out what has been happening and what is likely to happen, we have with us these five uh, very knowledgeable people. Uh, first out is Hanna Molam, She is a humanitarian affairs and civil society expert. She has lived and worked in several East African countries and studies and speaks, speaks Swahili. Uh, she's just back from Kenya where she was a long term election observer for the EU uh, in the general elections. Um, then we have with us Dante Olu- Owino. He's a master's student at Met and founder of the Green Leaf Foundation. He is a human rights activist. And his fight for electoral reform saw so him discontinued from Kenyatta University and earning a scholarship under Students at Risk in 2016. He is also affiliated to ODM, Odingo's party, and was a part of his campaign. So we'll now hear some reflections from the opposition as well. Then we have with us Leonor Toscano. She's a doctoral research fellow in the project Resilience Building, Social Resilience, Gender Dynamics and Local Peace in Protracted Conflicts. That was a long, long one, at the Department of Political Science at the University of Oslo. Uh, Her doctoral project focuses on the gender dimensions of social resilience and local conflict in Kenya. Then we have with us purity, Wangechi Lun. She recently graduated with a master's degree in international relations, where she wrote her thesis, Female Perceptions of Women in Politics in Kenya. Uh, Lun is interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and talks about human rights, women empowerment, mental health, and cultural intelligence. Last one out in this panel is Bord Andreasen. He is the director at the Norwegian Center for Human Rights. He has worked on democratization and multi-party elections in sub-Sahara Africa, uh, numerous consultancies for NORAD, the World Bank, the EU, and other development NGOs, and he has observed Several election in, elections in Kenya, including this last one. So they have each been given five minutes. Uh, when you have one minute remaining, I'll hold up one finger. And first out this Hama. Give a clap for all of them.
1: Yes, that works. Thank you very much. So I came back from Kenya on the 22nd of August after having spent six very intensive weeks there, one month before election day on 9th of August, and then two weeks after elections. So for this uh, purpose, I'm just going to give a brief overview of the process, actually. We'll get to the politics. I'll talk a bit about um, what struck me during my time there. The first thing I think that strikes everyone in Kenya during elections is that the country almost comes to a standstill. It's an all-consuming process, and people are quite apprehensive and really hoping and sharing their hope that things will be calm and peaceful. Um, As we near election day, schools are closing. We were on the coast, so um, hotels were closing, and it's really an all-consuming process. Just to mention also, EU has um, observers or had observers in 39 of the 47 counties in the country. And for myself, I was observing in Kilifi County, between Malindi and Mombasa on the coast, and Taita Taveta, home of the famous Tsavo National Park. So uh, we snuck in a bit of tourism there, which was good because the tourism industry has really suffered due to Corona and is again at a standstill during election time. Another thing that strikes me is how huge and complex a logistic operation these elections are, really. Um, And also they happen to be one of the world's most expensive, people kept telling us this as well. Um, There are 22 million registered voters, and because there is a rule that each polling station can have a maximum of 700 voters, it means there are around 46,000 polling centers uh, or stations around the country. Huge, each of these need trained staff, material, equipment to every corner of the country, so it's really uh, quite a feat even just to carry through an election uh, exercise in in Kenya. Um, Also, something that struck not so much me, but the colleagues that I worked with and many of the Kenyan observers we met, is that this election, the campaign period um, was very much about issues more than regional and ethnic divisions. Several people kept saying this. You may agree or disagree, but that's kind of a proposition I I put to you. And what kind of issues? A lot about socioeconomic issues, basic things, health, education, jobs, uh, development, basically. Um, Back again to this complexity. we talk about the presidential elections, but don't forget that there are five more elections taking place on the same day. So members of National Assembly, senators, women representatives in the National Assembly, and also election for governor and members of county assembly. Since 2013, Kenya is going through a devolution of powers, meaning that much more um, power and resources uh, is being dealt with on a county level. So many people told us, we don't care who is president, I want to know who will be my governor and who is in the county assembly. This is a good and important thing. And I think this may have contributed also to the campaign period being very much issue-based because people were claiming things and politicians were promising things uh, during the rallies we attended and the political meetings. Another thing that struck me and that many people said was special this year, money. The political arena in Kenya, you can say, is kind of a marketplace. You buy and sell positions and votes. But this year, people who had observed previous elections felt that this was more blatant. Uh, Money was just being dished out at everybody in a rally or in a meeting. And people were telling us that, oh, wow, this is great, because." jobs were low, uh, the economic situation was very difficult. So they would go from rally to rally and get their little handouts. Like they said, this is an income generating period for us, Uh, which of course it shouldn't be. Kenya has a draft law, it seems, uh, to limit campaign financing, but it has not yet, yet been passed in parliament. So there is no check on how much money is being spent on these elections. One issue that surprised me that wasn't discussed at all was the catastrophic drought we are seeing, which will be a huge challenge for the country and the future leaders of this country. Um, the Horn of Africa, including Kenya, is experiencing one of the worst droughts in 40 years, um, affecting millions of people. Wildlife, livestock are dying, but this was not really, as far as we observe, very much um, an issue discussed by the politicians. Another thing that was different this year, people told us, was less voter education. Civil society normally contributes a lot to voter education, but less this time, which may be contributed to a lower turnout, which was about, I think some 60%, uh, 64.6%. Previous years, uh, it has been much higher. In 2017, uh, almost 80%, and back in 2013, more than 85%. So lower this uh, year. I'll end on a note that was very positive, these elections were so well prepared and carried out by the election commission officers that we met on the county level. Very successful. People told us almost, oh this is almost boring, this election, because it's going so well, it's so peaceful, except and I think we'll get to it. The tallying after took very long. It was human fatigue that also contributed to this. People did not sleep for many days. But all in all, up until what you mentioned, Hilda, that the election commission split in declaring the presidential result, this was a very well carried through election by the election commission. And all the more disappointment when uh, the split happened. Um, one official told us, all the fantastic good work and preparations and carrying through we did on the ground was destroyed when they messed it up in Nairobi. So that was the sentiment. <laughs>
2: Thank, Thank you, Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, Dr. So uh, my name is Dan Lucho. And you know? uh, Dante is with political name. I was given in the uh, university around twenty twelve Hello. Hello get me now? Yeah, uh, the real name is Dan Gold you know? But they called me Dante the CF. The CSA is means, uh, a name means politician. <laughs> yeah, I got it back in the university when now was uh, so I traveled to Kenya on uh, 4th of August, and then I came back on 25th of August. So I was in Kenya for three weeks, and maybe three days. Uh, I think uh, the election lecture has been a bit unique in Kenya. You know, Raila, and know in 2017, uh, they arrived rivals. But now, ironically, in 2022, <laughs> they became uh, good friends and they supported one another. Uh, Ouro's uh, dupity, which is Utu, people named mm-hmm. after Ouro, uh, succeeded will him and he will Ouro and support <laughs> him. Uh, maybe by bad luck, they uh, disagreed. And Ouro now uh, found comfort in Odenia. Uh, and they did something called the handshake, which was basically of peace. Uh, so, with William Ruta opening, uh, the handshake that took place between Odinga and Mr. Kenata did not go well with him. So, he kind of maybe went against the government and he started fighting the government within. So, this brought a lot of tension, some chaos within the government, but uh, Kenata managed. Politically, after now, Mr. Ruto Haspi, kind of ignored by Naka, he started a campaign uh, by what he called the Hasla narrative, where by now he was saying that uh, it's time for the less party to take power as opposed to the dynasty. By saying dynasty, dynasty he meant uh, the politicians that have come from the former presidents, the former prime ministers. Uh, now, uh, the issue kind of brought uh, what we can call a class war. Now, we're seeing uh, well, being a candidate is more a uh, dynasty, and the rootless candidate is more of uh, less fortunate. But it was more of a, a, a propaganda, uh, which maybe tried to peddle it, but it uh, was we strong enough to counter this story. So, during the time I was there, I was. Uh, in Kenya during the election time and during the voting uh, day, during the tallying process. Like I can say during the voting day, the voting went briskly, everything went on well. <coughs> the problem started in the transmission and the verification of the results. At the polling station, there's what we call form 34A. That is a form. After the results have been counted for various candidates, it is failed and signed by all the presidential items. Uh, we found that what was being uploaded in the IBC patrol is not what was signed at the polling station. Our uh, agents tried to raise the issue at the talent center. They tried to rectify, but uh, most of the complaints were not. At the time of the announcement of the results, 27 constituencies were not yet tallied and verified. The chairman then proceeded to announce the results without verifying and telling results from 27 constituencies. At the time of the results being announced, four commissioners disagreed with the chair. When the commission, uh, it consists of seven commissioners. So seven, four is the majority. Three is now the minority. So if four disagree with the commission, then it means what was being done was not the work of the commission, but the work that was intended to pay someone's interest. So the announcement was not a true reflection of what the turn of the motive. It was a reflection of someone's interest in coalition with the chairman of the electoral board. And that's the reason why we have decided to go to court uh, so that we can get justice. And we have highlighted uh, several issues in court, and we are very optimistic. On 5th September 2022, justice is going to be done. And Raila Odinga. God willing, for some of our prayers is maybe through uh, the server, because you see people saying about the hacking, you cannot hack the server. What you can do is maybe just to play the control, but the server itself is difficult to have what delete. So given access to the server by the IBC, the one is going to see the true reflection of what was done at the telling center. So we're optimistic that the, that are either
3: going to be for it or going to be declared I so yes I mm. also had the privilege of being in Kenya in um, the campaign uh, period so I was in Kenya from June 13th until July 23rd so I was not there during the elections but I was there with the Lord for my PhD process, of, um, doctoral dissertation um, before I Start with my presentation. I think uh, uh, because I will use some technical vocabulary, I think it's perhaps nicer to clarify what I mean by, uh, by some concepts. So I will use a lot the concept of political violence and to a certain extent electoral violence. And what I mean by political violence is any violence that is politically motivated, so where political goals are at stake. It's a t- strategic type of violence. And electoral violence is a form of political violence, whereby the identification of targets, uh, the type of violence employed, uh, the mobilization, the motives of the perpetrators are shaped by electoral competition. So it's a very specific type of political violence. Now, in the case of Kenya, it's not always easy to identify what is electoral violence and what is other type of political violence like ethnic-based violence to a certain extent, even insurgency, because, like many other countries, these types of violence are very much interconnected, and it's very complex. What I can say about um, political violence in the context of these elections is that the first two quarters of 2022 were relatively violent. So we see that uh, around... 1,600, if I'm not mistaken, uh, events of political disorder were reported. But in political disorder, we also have peaceful protests, so around 400. Um, Some riots were also reported, around 400 as well. But despite the intensity or the level of the events, we're not necessarily seeing deaths or sexual violence or any other type Um, more direct um, like displacement, more direct results of this program. So we're seeing the numbers, but we're not necessarily seeing the results. Um, What we see as well is that some groups that were outlawed have also re-emerged, and that might explain why we've seen so many riots. We've also seen some uh, pastoralist militias in certain counties, which has also led, unfortunately, to some deaths. But again, not in the amounts that we saw, for example, in 2007, when we had the Kenyan crisis. (coughs) The variables behind this, it's a bit hard to sum up and to understand if it's caused by the elections or if we're seeing many variables at the same time playing out. Because as Hannah mentioned, there's a drought going on in Kenya, very severe, actually, in all of Eastern Africa. And so because of it, pastoralist militias and other groups um, are affected and conflict dynamics are affected. There's also the problem of inflation, the living costs, um, unemployment and COVID. So there are many variables at play. I cannot pinpoint and say necessarily that electoral competition has led to the rise in the number of events. What I can also say is that uh, despite the... um, number of events, and despite uh, sort of, uh, we're not seeing as many results, uh, Badly results for example, we're seeing a lot of violence against women, not necessarily in the form of sexual violence, but violence against female uh, MPs, female candidates uh, on the ground. So I think this election is a, a little bit unique in the sense that we have other variables at play. We have a lot of competition. We have other issues at play, not necessarily ethnicity. And we have different targets. And so uh, I think it's a bit perhaps earlier, to s- uh, early to say what happens in August. We don't necessarily have the data now to evaluate if we have a rise in events and a rise in deaths. I think we sort of have to wait until the data comes.
4: Hi everyone, my name is Piritu Wangeshi Lund and um, I wrote a paper last year on my master thesis. I was writing about the perceptions of, uh, the female perceptions of women in politics in Kenya. So I was trying to investigate how women view the women in politics. Um, I have to say that my, my research was a bit biased because I was, I was very much interested in only the opinion of women. thinking about uh, the things that I discovered. So uh, women have really been very much involved in, in elections or in politics in Kenya. And my participant agreed with me that um, women lack the venues to like um, basically practice their leadership skills. Women want to actually uh, join politics. They have been involved. They, they Actually, participate as voters. They participate as uh, aspirants. As they have been there, but there's several challenges that the women face that actually um, impede their participation into politics in Kenya. So some of the challenges that the women face are financial situation. Uh, when you look at the um, the um, the wealth. Dimension of Kenya, the men actually have more money than the women, and the second thing is that politics is an expensive affair. As one of uh, one of the people here said, that there's voters buying in Kenya, so if you're actually engaging in politics, you need to have some real good money because, like the voters or people out there, will expect you to buy them lunch, water, transport. These are some of the things that you have to put in like factor. And women, as we know, they actually don't have that much money, like if we compare to the men. So that is one of the challenges that they face. The other challenge that women face in Kenya is violence. Like, as voters, like she said, that um, I have, when I was doing my, my, my research, I discovered that women sometimes don't even vote because their IDs are taken away from them. because when you're going to the polling station you will, like have to present an ID. Then, uh, then they, they actually won't get to vote. And also like the family interference sometimes the men choose which candidate to be like um, voted for. <coughs> They'll come and tell you that we are standing behind this so and so and maybe that was not your candidate. So then you don't get to choose the candidate of your choice. Um, uh, other uh, things that women face is like, especially for uh, political aspirants, like politician, is violence against them. As um, they instill fear, like they, they go through intimidation. Basically, it's like they use that as a political a political tool to make them not uh, participate. Which is a bad thing in a way because then representation matters. We need to see more women in politics, and when we, when they are actually intimidated like this, more women will not come out because they will be like, "Oh, I see this lady trying to join politics and see what was what she was going through." Then I am not ready to put myself through that. Like I, I remember that when I was doing my research, I actually interviewed one one politician, and she said that violence was very. Real because they actually even threaten your family members. Yeah, so it's um, it's like um, a dangerous affair. So one of the ways that the women can actually um, one of the ways we can support women in Kenya is to uh, political party support because uh, political parties sometimes bypass women because. Kenyan politics is very much male dominated and they always prefer the men. So then they bypass women even when they are like extremely qualified. So we need political parties to recognize and support women. We need the society to be empowered to embrace women leadership. We need to empower women with finances so that they can um, play in the same level field as men. We need grooming. We need to groom women because men have been in this uh, field for a long time, so they know all the rules, they, they play they play it so well. So when women come too late into their game, they they fall out somewhere. So we need to like support women, with, uh, advocating for them and grooming them into, into these things. Um, yeah. Thank you.
5: So, oh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me here tonight, and it's nice to be here and to see people who are so interested in Kenya. And my name is Borana I'm a professor at the University of Oslo and head of the Norwegian Center of Human U- Rights at the University of Oslo. And I have been, uh, I must say, I've been lucky in my life to be able to follow elections in Kenya since multi-partism was introduced in 1991, too. So, I was an observer, actually, in 1992. In, uh, in Kenya in 1997, uh, I was also an election observer in uh, the referendum in 2004 when Kenya voted on and rejected uh, a draft constitution, it was later changed and it was adopted in 2010, the current constitution, and I was an election observer in 2007 um, with, uh, with the crisis that occurred in 2008, um, and this time I was there not as an international election observer, but as an observe on myself and um, try to observe as good as I could uh, from, from uh, my, my base in, in Nairobi. So I have been there quite a number of times. I'm very grateful for that. And to the Kenyan people for having taught me so much about Kenya and African uh, politics and politics in general. Um, so that is, uh, that is my first point actually. I, <coughs> I feel that this was a historic election in many ways. Um, it was the first election where uh, you had um, a genuine female uh, deputy president candidate. Uh, you had uh, uh, Van Gilu was actually a candidate some years ago, but, uh, but this, is, this is the first time, and that is important. Um, it ended up with a very important election in many ways for women, not least in the uh, county of Nakuru, where all the main positions, the governor, the senator, the uh, women representative, of course, uh, the head of the council, the local council, all by women, um, which is really interesting and very good, and we will look forward to see what what, what changes that might bring. Uh, uh, certainly, I uh, happen to be a kind of a friend of Reinhard Dinga, so I'm in a sense biased as well. Reinhard Dinga came to Norway in uh, in in ni- in nineteen ninety one in what he called a self-imposed exile and uh, because he wanted to go out it was burning around him he, he was part of the opposition Ford, as it was called at that time and he had to have some relief and he had to go somewhere he had a sister in Oslo and he came here and, we, and he visited my center and we gave him a little office so I learned him to know very well uh, over, those, over those months that he was or weeks that we, he was here we kept a little bit of contact later I'm afraid I have to say uh, that I probably think that uh, Raila Odinga is the best president Canaan ever got. I'm afraid to say that. Um, There is an an option actually now to have have a rerun um, after the the Supreme Court ruling that is expected on the 10th of September. Uh, But many things indicate that they will probably not vote in favor of Odinga in this case. We can discuss that. Uh, and you might have opinions on that. Um, so I have actually been thinking a little bit when I was there, um, this time from end of July until 24th of, uh, 24th of August, so I followed the process before and after. Um, I've been thinking a little bit, if that is the case, and it might not be, it might be that he is getting a rerun and wins that, but if that is the case, why did Reina Dinga lose these elections? And I have several explanations for that, if you allow me to take a few of them. There is obviously the unpopularity of the BBI process and the handshake, as it turned out. It became very unpopular. And let me explain what the BBI and the handshake is. Um, Rainer Dinga lost the elections in 2007 to huru Kenyatta for the second time. uh, On a very small margin, even smaller than this time. And he contested the uh, result. And they said, the IABC, the Electoral Commission, which is supposed to be independent, did not do the tallying in the right way. Exactly the same as it happens this time, actually. And it got the support of the Supreme Court, which said, yes, you're right, we have to, these were so many discrepancies that we need to have a rerun. And there was, uh, this happened in 2017, uh, and, and the rerun was in, 2000, in October 2017. And Raila um, didn't really have faith in the IABC, in the, in the Electoral Commission, for the second real election. So he said, mm-hmm, I'm not going to take part in this exercise. So he withdrew. And Uhuru Kenyatta won with 98% of the vote, as you know. So that was really putting the country in kind of a, on a very difficult, fragile state of conflict between, again, the two dynasties. The Kenyatta dynasty and the Odinga dynasty. Um, um, in a in huge trolley in Uhuru Park, Rainaldinga Dinga declared himself as the people's president, as you know, um, and there was really a very heated and hot situation in the country. Now, after some time, Uhuru Kenyatta and Raila Dinga started to talk to each other. They are old friends in a sense they have been in alliances before, knew each other, families eat dinners together, so they were actually knowing each other very well. One well, minute more, okay. And then they, uh, they, ended up, um, they ended up with a handshake in March 2018. That led to something called the Building Bridge Initiative, which was an initiative by the two to, 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 to establish a process where they could change the constitution on several points in order to get a better social cohesion in society, less ethnic conflict in society, uh, a better electoral environment in, in, in elections and so on and so forth, and many of these were quite good. The problem was that they were, they were driven from above, and they needed to have um, a majority, they needed to have a referendum in order to do that, in order to have these uh, constitutional um, changes introduced. And the Supreme Court said in a ruling that the whole process, the BBI process, was unconstitutional, and it was abolished in March 2022. So that made, in a sense, a kind of a background why this process uh, was very unpopular, so that was one thing. The other thing is that uh, Raila Odinga was seen as, quite, uh, as very close to Uhuru, and in a way he was a candidate of Uhuru. Uhuru Knyata was obviously the establishment, so Raila was seen as part of the establishment or the deep state, as they call it, the deep state. Um, while, on the other hand, Ruto, William Ruto was able to establish him as an opposition candidate. He was seen as a kind of new person coming up who had been uh, harassed by the president and who had a new position in, in society. So he was able to use that. And remar- uh, think about that. Uh, Kenyan politics is described by at least one word which is overriding for everything else. It is ethno-populism. It's a lot of ethnopopulism in spite of the fact that we have had more class politics this time. But the overriding uh, sort of uh, uh, structural dimension of Canadian politics is ethnopopulism. I'm going over time now. I'm lecturing now, am I? I'm sorry. So I I could end there, and maybe I should come back with other points as we move on. Thank you. Give
0: him a hand. Does anyone want to comment on what anyone else said, first? Yes, please.
1: Ladies first. (laughs) No, just quickly, something that Purity mentioned, that that, um, in Kenya during the primaries, uh, there is a um, principle in the constitution that says, when you present your list of nominees, there should be no gender that is more than two thirds. So it's called the two thirds principle. So in our case, this means at least one-third of the nominated candidates per party should be women. Um, and political parties violated this principle, and the chairman of the election commission said, no, 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 we're sending you back your list and you better revise them, because this would be unconstitutional. And then a group of lawyers challenged again um, the chairman's threat to, uh, to throw those part- uh, political parties out of the game. So. What is in the constitution? Was ruled to be unconstitutional? There was a kind of strange thing there. But yeah, it was just a c- comment to purity that um, they did unfortunately not follow the two thirds rule to include women in the nominated candidates. Thank you.
2: Yeah, uh, maybe just to comment about uh, what Professor said. I think the correct statement should be was <laughs> not announced as <laughs> the winner. stood and Rayla in the elections. But that aside, uh, BBI is not one of the reasons as to when Rainer was not announced uh, You look, uh, during the process of BBI, we got more than 30, uh, more than, uh, 30 counties supporting the BBI out of 47. That show that Rainer helped them. Handshake was not one of the reasons why Rainer lost the injection. Actually, made think got at least more votes than he got in 2017 in Central, which was a plus. The problem is the electoral commission, the electoral commission. They serve the interest of other people. They don't serve the interest of the people.
5: Thank you. OK, I, 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 I beg a little bit to disagree with that, because um, one of the problems that Raila actually had this time uh, was uh, that RUTU captured almost all of central province, all of Mount Kenya, which was surprising. Um, there was a big hope, I think, that Marta Karua, who was uh, Raila's deputy uh, president, would capture a good deal and give him a lot of votes in Mount Kenya. But she didn't. She actually lost her party, lost her, lost her home constituency, or yeah, all in her own in her constituency and, and uh, even Hurakiniata uh, lost in his home polling station so that indicates that the man was terribly unpopular and he actually went to very late to campaign for Raina in central province even after I came there in late July and he was terribly unpopular and I, I said to myself man go no home you're destroying the campaign for Ayla, I think that If you continue like that, because you're obviously not a man that can gather support. So I think that's uh, that's that's one of the main things that explain why why Rayla actually actually lost lost in in, in central, and uh, that is, explains also why he lost possibly lost the elections. We don't know that yet. I agree, because the uh, the uh, Supreme Court has to. Look at all the discrepancies in the tallinn and there were discrepancies in the tallying, obviously. There must have been. There were three Venezuelans who were brought into the country and uh, probably did funny things with the service. We don't know that, and the Supreme Court has to establish the facts about that. Um, but there was 200, almost 1,000 votes uh, in difference between the two, and uh, the, the Supreme Court also has to decide whether... the the irregularities, which were then, we can establish whether they actually made a difference on the final results. And they they might say that, yes, there were discrepancies, there were were irregularities, but it don't uh, amount to uh, a a result which is very different from what we came up with. Obviously, uh, Shibukati, the head of the IBC, didn't do his job very well in in the final phase. And he, uh, and that is also why he got four of the seven commissioners withdraw from his commission when he announced the result uh, and announced Ruto uh, uh, as, the, as the candidate. But uh, the Constitution 110C says that or 10 says that uh, that it is the chair of the of the IABC that shall declare the result. So in that sense, he was right. Some would argue that there is a shadow which is changing that, but I don't know. But that is what the Constitution actually says. So, so there is, but still, he might have responsibility for irregularities that has happened on the ground in the training center at Bomas in Nairobi, and on the transmission of votes uh, of these of these uh, A and B and C forms. So that remains to be seen, and that is what the uh, Supreme Court is really discussing these days.
0: Thank you. Uh, before I open up for questions I just want to Boda said something about it already what he, he think is uh, he thinks is likely to happen um, but I want to hear from the rest of you what do you think is um, likely to happen as we proceed what are what are the different scenarios uh, <laughs> maybe not all of them but what you find you yourself uh, think is more likely and then also what will be the Biggest challenges for whoever is the new president. What are the biggest challenges they will have to face? I you have mentioned the drought, um, you mentioned Corona and the effects, uh, the economy. Uh, what are the most important issues? Um, yeah, then you, you can start.
3: Well, if I may speak of the outcomes or the most likely scenarios in terms of violence. Uh, I'd say it's a bit hard to predict what to expect because we're still waiting for the official and final results to be uh, revealed and established. But but what we can see um, is that actually violence has been decreasing since May, the end of May. Now, whether or not that is the result of electoral competition, I, I think it's not. I think it is because... Uh, there was a sort of a political will to not go back to the crisis that we had in 2007 and so at all costs violence must be avoided but it also means that 150,000 uh, security staff police, military were deployed so we might be seeing a lot more control and we might also be seeing a lot of police brutality which is something that unfortunately many activists um, and Protesters have uh, told me is that um, when there is a protest, it's automatically the police is involved and violence is used to, to stop protests from taking place. Um, I would say that if this continues that we might not see the same levels of violence that we saw, of course, but violence is unfortunately <laughs> always uh, a possibility uh, and that is a challenge that um, a future president will have to deal with. And also, in terms of the larger picture of violence in Kenya, I'd say two challenges, the drought, which I think Anna will perhaps also touch upon. But it is driving a lot of conflict between uh, some groups in counties that have been perhaps a little bit uh, forgotten. Uh, Like Ipia has seen uh, some (coughs) incidents in northwestern, sorry, northeastern Kenya, the north in general, Uh, So the drought is definitely a driver for conflict in Kenya. And, of course, uh, Islamic insurgency, Al-Shabaab, the war that uh, Kenya has in Somalia and with Al-Shabaab is going definitely to be a challenge to deal with for a future president. Yeah.
6: Yeah. uh,
2: What is likely to happen? I think uh, violence. As has been mentioned by my good sister here. Going by the statistics, it has continued to decrease. So maybe this can be atti- attributed to the increase in the literacy level as compared maybe to the past, maybe 2007 The literacy level was higher. But right now, the literacy level has gone up. So actually, you find that maybe most people are enlightened and they don't see the need to go out. One people So going forward we in the opposition, we check the outcome. We continue to push for the structuring of the electoral body. We do our best until one day we do a free, fair and credible election. Thank you.
0: I just just a follow up question for you. Do you have a strategy, the opposition? If um, the Supreme Court the Supreme Court doesn't take the petitions into Consideration, where they, they rule that Ruto is the the winner of the election. What is the plan of the opposition? Will you accept the uh, the
2: ruling? Yeah, because Supreme Court is the highest court in the land, we will respect the uh, children. Uh, so whether we have the certainty, I think at, uh, as of now we don't have Based on outcome of the parliamentary elections, I think uh, the opposition side has majority of the MPs. But they really use our numbers in parliament to try and push for the changes, the electoral system.
1: Right. Many people we met used the word maturity about their political system and had some kind of uh, mix between relief and, and pride for the fact that it has been calm and peaceful largely so far. Uh, and I think this is interesting. And people. Like uh, People we met kept uh, saying almost this slogan, like, we did our job, now let the court do theirs. Like, go to court, not to the street. So uh, I, I echo a bit what you were, you were all saying so far. Um, um, I don't have any like deep analysis of the challenges, but I think with the narrow thing, it will be again to unite the country and really be everybody's president. And, was so interesting with Martha Karua and Uhuru Kenyatta being so unpopular in their areas. There is a kind of this politics fatigue in a way as well. And something we didn't mention yet, I just wanted to say briefly, there were a record many independent candidates running in this election. And some uh, election officials were saying, if it continues like this, party politics in Kenya will be destroyed. And people, uh, candidates are party hopping, creating new parties, no loyalty to party. <coughs> So you vote for the person and not the party. So again, this uh, shows a bit fatigue with the system as it exists today. Um, as for scenarios, we got an email all us long-term observers some uh, about a week ago saying, hey, don't cut up or lose your accreditation for <laughs> elections because you may be coming back so if there is a rerun, at least the European Union will be there to observe again but yeah, very difficult to predict right now and big suspense between now and, and Monday Thanks. I
4: really I don't know what I could say what would happen now I'm just waiting to see what happens but if I, I would talk about maybe the challenges or like what we would expect the, the leader to do I think the first thing I would personally expect is the strengthening of the systems, because basically we expect him to work for the people and not just for specific people. So I think strengthening the democracy in Kenya, that would be like the first thing I would expect and basically ensuring that there's gender parity, uh, gender equality in, in most uh, system, and basically uh, supporting and empowering the society. Like in Kenya right now, I think the, the biggest population is to be the young people. And that's why I feel like they are they are connecting with the hustler narrative right now, because there's so many of them that are hustling, like they don't have jobs and things like that. So then is providing jobs for these people because getting them off the street and being meaningful in the society, that's like the, the, the big job. And also I feel at the moment, that the financial crisis in Kenya is really uh, blowing off like everywhere else, but then imagine um, in Kenya it's worse off because the I mean the people don't have access to like so many things. They don't have access to health services. The, the food is expensive, and so it's 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 very difficult and challenging in Kenya right now. So that would be my biggest expectation from whoever is announced
5: or when they resolve the issue directly. Thank you. Yeah, I agree very much with that. And It seems like the hustler, economy, ideology, whatever you think about it, seems to have had some support among young people. And uh, Ruto has been promising investment funds for small-scale industries and all that, so that has gone home in in some instances. Raiva promised to have what we call borgløn in Norwegian, civic uh, salary, uh, for, the, for, the, for those under the poverty line that didn't go home so well apparently which is also a very progressive thing to say uh, if there is a rerun um, everything is up in arm uh, up, up in the air in a sense uh, there will be a completely new game I, I believe uh, because of the narrowness of the result and because there will be rearrangements in, in among the, uh, in the parties uh, and new buying new buying perhaps or parties perhaps as is so common but I think that, as you say, the, the most challenging for the new president or the new, the, the new government, it's not just the president we're talking about, the president all the time, it's uh, government, uh, which is also important in the uh, parliament, um, is the foreign debt that, uh, that Uhuru's uh, uh, regime actually has led to. Uh, so, Raila was talking about introducing austerity measures, crisis measures in the economy, which is very serious, cut down on the budgets because we have to serve our debts, which is very high. Uh, uh, extremely high, actually, for Kenya over the last few, uh, few, uh, few five six years. I don't think, and I, I hope I'm right on that, but I don't think there will be much violence uh, after the Supreme Court verdict. Uh, there are different reasons for that. I think Raila will, if he loses, he will accept the outcome. Um, he's a democrat uh, and he is a ro- rule of law man, uh, uh, and I, I have belief in that. Uh, he is, uh, his supporters may not be very happy, and there may be stone throwing, uh, not least in Kisumu and in in kibra but uh, but he will contain that i think he as he did last time after some time so i i have I have faith in that Muraila um, the, the, uh, and also mata has out, been out saying we there will be no peace without justice um, I think they will modify that I think they will look for. For, for peace, even if they don't feel that they have justice. Um, and, but the, the, and the government also certainly will have to deal with the rising food prices, uh, fuel prices, terribly high. Ufunga, which is a meal that you use for, for ugali, uh, the main staple food, uh, is, is extraordinarily high. So that's, uh, that's really serious. I think it's very important that uh, the that new government, and it seems like both sides actually, supporting that, that you continue with the devolution. Uh, devolution is, is t- ex- extremely uh, important in, in Kenya, and it has been quite successful in many places, in Kisumu, in Nakuru, in Kizumo, uh, in, 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 uh, on the coast, uh, in Mombasa, uh, and a few other counties, of the 47, have been pretty, uh, pretty uh, successful in that. Uh, so, and that, that sort of takes politics down to a lower level, um, which is which is, I think good uh, for and healthy for the society. The point with the BBI process which I liked was that they wanted to reduce the power of the president and maybe even include a, a prime minister uh, and uh, move towards some sort of parliamentary system and uh, away from the American system that they introduced. That would have been I think a good thing for Kenya I like the BBI for that but it didn't happen, but it might happen in future we don't know.
0: Thank
3: you. Hello. Yes, I had just a comment uh, on the issue of political violence. I, I definitely agree. And I think that is also why we're seeing protests and riots as sort of the main source of political disorder. But we're not seeing any other types of violence. We're not seeing active militias. We're not seeing dyadic clashes. We're not seeing any other sources of conflict. And because electoral violence and the sort of violence that we saw in 2007 depends on mobilization. And so if there, are, if there is no mobilization, there are no groups active, or if you know, uh, violence is constrained and contained top-down, then there will most likely not be any violence. So I, I definitely agree with the comment.
5: And if I can add one comment to that, because remember that the violence in 1992, in 2007-8, it was between the Kalinjian and, 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 uh, and the Cucuz, and now they are together. Uh, uh, in Kalanza, uh, so so that is uh, is uh, whatever you see, it's a positive factor.
4: I think Kenyans are, are moving away from uh, being tribalistic because, like with this election, we really seen them uh, different tribes uniting and it it being more like driving the agenda and like in before when it was very tribalistic, like. I think, like you mentioned that people are saying about maturity, I think a lot of people are moving away from seeing that the leaders are fighting, are making us fight against each other when in the evening they actually live in the same neighbourhood. And then we basically are fighting our neighbours and they live in, they will handshake and have dinner together. So I think that's uh, a good thing to see that are waking up to like try and avoid the violence that comes with mobilization from top down and basically them fighting for being um, fighting for tribes and, and like fighting for things like agenda and things to move this, the, the society forward and, and like taking them behind.
2: Thank you.
5: Uh, very interesting, and I would like to add one thing to that uh, because. Violence is not just political violence, it is also social violence. And much of the, social, all the violence you saw in 2008, after those contested elections, was, uh, was uh, obviously social. It was a social uproar among people in Kibra, in Matare, and also in Kizumu. So they were satisfied and took advantage of the situation. I agree that most of the political violence in Kenyan elections have been politically instigated, yes. And that's why Ruto and uh, Uhuru ended up in uh, ICC, and probably should have been there still. And, uh, uh, but the, the violence is also social. I don't know what you say to that, uh, studied it. Uh, I mean, absolutely. I think there is a sort of, a sort of social discomfort and, um,
3: and that's, I think, also why um, it turned so brutal in 2007, right? I think it assumed forms that we haven't seen in the country. I think we had some episodes in the 90s as well, but not to the extent that we saw in 2007. Uh, and um, so I, I would say that yes, but I, 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 I would still like to, or I stick to the idea that there was indeed mobilization and there were political, there was a political motivation behind the violence. Uh, but as I also said in my introduction, political violence or violence in Kenya in general is very multi-complex and very interlinked. And so sometimes it is political scientists like to operate with sort of ideal types. This is electoral violence, this is that. It doesn't really work like that in the in in the real world. So we see a lot of interconnections. Uh, and in urban areas such as Nairobi, Nakuru, Kisumu. We often also see political violence interlinking with uh, gang violence, crime, and it's often very difficult to establish a line on what is what because oftentimes we see the same groups operating. Um, so there is definitely a social component to political violence or violence in general. In
0: Are there any questions from the audience? Yeah, please come up. Please
6: introduce yourself. Yeah. Um, my name is uh, Bo Jensen. I was uh, Danish ambassador to Kenya in 2007 and 2008. So, of course, I'm very happy that things have been more peaceful uh, this this time around. And I, I think like everybody else. Uh, for me, the big question this time has been whether uh, we would see an outbreak in the tribal, ethnic, Voting patterns, and Purity has already indicated that she thinks uh, that, that she has uh, seen some. And I, I certainly think that that would be fantastic for Kenya if, if that could come about. Of course, the most important in this context is uh, the vote of the central province of the of the Kikuyus, which uh, there was a low turnout, so we shouldn't overestimate it. I, I mean, if 45 percent have stayed at home. They may still uh, think, think along tribal lines. I, I'm not sure of that, but I think it, it, it is remarkable uh, what we have seen in uh, in central province that the Kikuyus have basically voted uh, not only for Rutu, which they might have done, but they have voted against Kani and they have voted against the Kenyatta family. I, I think that is, that is uh, very... Um, uh, that is a big breakthrough, and furthermore, if, if you look at those two maps, uh, you would also see that uh, Ryder has done very poorly in uh, in Nairobi. That does not reflect the ethnic composition of Nairobi. Uh, so I I think Ruto's Ruto's message, maybe also the the youth uh, of the voters in Nairobi, has added to that uh, effect. I would have expected Ryder to boom do much better in, in particularly with the support of Kenyatta uh, and another area is uh, Mombasa it's also quite surprising that Ruto won in, in Mombasa he was not uh, scheduled to do that on the other hand you can see that there are also in other places for instance Turkana and La Kipia, they would have been normally they would have been voting Ruto so we have seen a lot of Breakup. break up, a lot of instances where people have not voted according to their ethnic uh, background. Uh, Those of you who have been down there have have explained that you have also seen a different kind of campaigning. So can we say afterwards that from 2022, the tribal voting is going out in Kenya? (laughs)
0: Thank you. Any other questions? Yeah,
6: please
2: come here. First clap, please. First clap.
7: First clap. First clap. That's me. Uh, my name is Frederick Makosil. Uh, I am the chairman of the Association of Kenyans in Norway, and I also, also represent uh, Kenyans in Europe now in a bigger forum. I've been an election observer in Kenya, I've been a politician, I'm a ODM, I'm UDM, I'm everything. I'm a Kenyan. Uh, I will not stand here talking about my political position. Why I asked you to clap is not for the panelists, but for the voter, the Kenyan voter who got up early in the morning, stayed in the queue for hours, voted, made sure their votes were counted, were cast in the ballot. The agents of all those party, uh, the party agents signed, everything was okay at that point. So they've done their job. Even though there's like 45% who didn't turn up, but those ones did their job. Now, the thing we have to talk about, which you are scared of talking about here, is the elephant in the house, in the Kenyan house, and that is corruption. Corruption. If you can give me medicine to clear corruption in Kenya, all these things we are talking about will be like history for me. Remember, Kenya is just electing the fifth president. USA are being, what, 47th president, 200 years of uh, constitutional rule, Norway, how many hundreds of years? Kenya has just got the new constitution in 2010. They've not even managed to implement it all. Actually, 30%, according to my rough calculation, of the people who've should not have been on the ballot. Because we have a clause in our constitution, it's called Chapter 6. You know it? Integrity. Even the money that they're dishing out, Hannah, that is corruption, and it's in the open, and the police are seeing it, Everybody knows everybody's doing that and nobody's complaining. Do you know why? Because they say it's facil- facilitation. Just like you know, because when, if I'm coming here I would have brought forty people from another county, I pay for them. So corruption is number one thing we have to fight. But I'm also clapping for the women. Beauty, thank you for your, your talk. I'm clapping for the Kenyan woman. Despite all these challenges, actually I'm from Kisumu and I'm from Kondelewe, we throw stones at everything. And this time we said, no, no violence. There was some small pockets. But look at the women coming up now. Now we have seven governors. Okay? Seven women governors. We have several MPs. We have so many uh, MCs. And we have the first woman governor elected in the whole of Nyaza region. Gladys Wanga, you know about it. And we have a woman who was actually a housemaid who defeated in yeah. Down, Kamira. So we have these people coming. But look at our political setup. We, we had 82 political parties in this election. 82 political parties. Who are we talking about? We're talking about four. Okay, pest and color and everything. You have one who is talking about marijuana. Give everybody marijuana. The youth are running to that guy, definitely. They're crazy. They think this is funny. Yeah, is a rap culture, the dot .com family. The other one is talking church. We're only Christians. But we also have other religions in Kenya, and they're focusing on one small thing. They're telling us, we're going to clear all the corruption. We're going to bring all the money that you've touched abroad. How? Then we have Raila, who is, of course, a seasoned politician. He, I like the way you said it. He has not lost the election. Nobody knows whether who has won the election. And that map there, don't worry about it because that map is not correct. It will be correct after the 5th of this, of, of, of this September, when either the Supreme Court says, okay, there's a mistake, and actually within 48 hours we will have a picture because as we are talking, there's a recounting of 15 car, um, uh, constituencies, that are currently one of them, to just give a snap, snapshot, a picture of how it is. Uh, short but not uh, last, I want to focus on the youth. Kenya's are, I mean, 75% roughly of Kenya's youth are under 35 years of, of age. Where are the youth in our political setup? This time round, I'm lucky also and I'm very happy because we have a 21-year-old going to, is, is, a, is, a, is a, an MP. We have an MC, somebody talks about money. You must have a lot of money to be a politician. No, it is changing. We have a uh, who was campaigning the, on the back of a, of, a, of a donkey. And he won. Again, it's people who are coming in these big big vehicles. We have a uh, total in Bomet, a woman representative, who just came from campus, has no, no knowledge of anything, just yeah, training I mean, like leadership in college and school, and is now a woman representative. There are changes, there are things that are coming on, and I want us to focus more, going forward, on the positives that Kenya is making. It's a lot of work to be done. I'm shocked that you're saying there are 400 plus uh, episodes of violence, I'm shocked because I follow Kenya News 24-7, I've not seen so many of them, I don't know how you calculate it, but I can promise all of you, just like I promised on NRCO the day of the election in the morning, there will be no violence after this election. And I was right. When we came on the counting day, the violence that we experienced are instigated by the politicians. There are politicians who come around and tell us, you know, you group, I know this because I've been in Konele. They come with the 2,000 and tell us, you know what, block that road tomorrow and you'll get more, and we gotta block the road. The Kenyan person is very peaceful, actually. Kenyan voter is very peaceful. You could could see it on the queues and everything, and that's what we want to focus on. The results are coming out on Monday. The servers can be messed up with. I'm an IT guy. We can clear everything behind the back and put new things there. So just opening that server is not a solution. The only solution we have for Kenya this voting time is the Form 34A and the exact votes. That were cast in those ballot boxes. 14 million, two plus. If we can count them one by one today, it will take six months, but the truth will come out. And truth is what Odinga is asking for. Give Odinga the truth, he said it. If I lost, yes. If I didn't lose, yes. But let me lose fair and square. Petition number seven talks about 50 plus one. You know, in Kenya, you must have 50 plus one of the votes. Now did Ruto have 50 point plus one? The numbers will tell us. The commissioners say it's one one hundred and one hundred and zero one percent when you put the, the totals. I would ask a question to the observers. This is my, my question, only question I have. When you're an observer and you've gone through all this, the Kenyan voters done the voting, but the one reporting is the one actually who voted because they decide who won from other fake numbers. Did you also have your observers' results that show the contrary of what we, what we were being told by Chibukati? That's the only question. Thank you.
0: Thank you. So there are many things to comment. I think, Bord and Hanna, you can uh, comment on the last question. And then if anyone wants to call, um, talk about uh, the Danish ambassador, uh, Bu, his question about um, Is there an end to ethnic division and ethnic voting in Kenya? Uh, The gentleman from the Kenya Association, he also touched on corruption. Um, Do the parties have party programs? Do they have a clear ideology? Or is it, as he said, one for the gangsters and one for the church people? Uh, Maybe, you can start from here and then we go
5: this. Okay, as to the uh, IBC and the, and the World Counting, I know that there was she has to answer on the behalf of the observers, but there has been a report about the international observers doing alternative tally. And uh, in, immediately after the election, the first days after the election, there were reports from election observers saying that our tallying is almost the same as with the IABC. But that was before everything was done. And uh, the truth, as you say, will come out later, next Monday. Uh, and I think that there is a lot of things, if you follow the, you can follow the Nation these days, and you can see that there is a lot of new things coming up that we didn't really recognize in the first instance. So the everything is, uh, is prepared before the election and done after, <laughs> uh, it seems like. It's not on election day. Election day is peaceful and fine and good. So that is, that is one of the problems. I, I agree that corruption is a huge problem. Uh, it was reports that I talked to people who said Ruto would go to a church service on Sunday and have a million shilling with him and and, and tell and, and open and in, in cash and show the money to the, to, 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 to the church and say, this is for you to develop your church do whatever you want with it and then he would go to the service in the next church after with another million and uh, the reports that he's using at least three million every, every Sunday uh, on doing that. And it also goes to, to, to the Muslims, so it doesn't go only to the, to the Christians. Uh, and that is, that is amazing. I, I mean, Is it possible to do that? Yes, it is possible to do that without uh, with, with impunity, which is, uh, which is certainly too bad. About ethnicity, will it go away? All countries have ethnic differences and people vote uh, along regional lines. There are different interests on Western Norway than in other Norway. So you might have differences of that nature. Uh, my sense is that uh, it takes, uh, it takes uh, generations to build democracy and to build the national ethos that you need in order to have, to have these ethnicities live peacefully together because ethnicity is not going away. What some call positive ethnicity will be there. Culture will be there. in languages will be there. People will live in different places. So the point is, do you come to a a place where you can have more issue politics, more ideology that builds bridges between these ethnicities in parties? And that, as you say, takes a long time. It takes tens and tens and tens of years. It is a generational project. In that sense, there were some good signs in these elections, I think, yes, indeed. But on the other hand, it was also the young people, unfortunately, at least in Nairobi, where I was, that uh, had this election fatigue. And didn't really turn out to vote. They were tired of these of uh, these politicians and these dynasties that really didn't move forward. So I, I see I see see problems. But this takes time. It takes time. Even constitutional changes we will have perhaps possibly in in future that can accommodate some of these these differences uh, in a peaceful way.
1: Yes. Uh, just a few comments. One is about the voter turnout. I just wanted to mention, from Mombasa, for example, where who you said the. Ruto wasn't scheduled to win. The voter turnout was the lowest in the country. I think it was at forty-three percent, while in some parts of central uh, Kenya, it was seventy-nine. I think was the highest. So yeah, maybe a lot of uh, um, Odinga supporters didn't turn out in Mombasa. <laughs> Not here, but just to show the average. Um, yeah, loses meaning. Mombasa was the lowest turnout. Um, yes. We met a lot of uh, ELOG observers, uh, Kenyan observers, that actually do parallel, of, um, what you call Italian, exactly. Um, we don't do that, and answer to you is easy. I think we have to wait for the report from our uh, team. The core team of the European Union is still there. 12 election experts are following intently what's going on now. And actually something I wanted to say, because um, the European Union, final election reports with recommendations are available online and there are a wealth of information for you who are interested in elections and want to see the evolution of elections and the degree of uptake of certain recommendations that the EU and other observers have given. Um, And the EU has been observing elections in Kenya since 2002, so not as long as you. But those reports are really a treasure trove of good information about elections. And the one uh, one is now in the making for this election, and we'll have to wait until the whole process is um, over. Um, yes, I think that's
2: what I wanted to say. Okay. Yeah, maybe in response to what uh, Marcos said, if at all we observed, what we observed is different from what was being telling, was being shown. I think maybe. Uh, based on our own tally, the opposition, the results that we got from the polling station from 34 days were totally different. The well, majority of them were different from what was in the electoral bodies' groups. Our own tally showed that trailer won with 51.68% and total had 47.7%. Leaving that, going by the results of the IBC, Water turnout. The percentage in the claims kit. And claims kit, I think, is the camera to use for the identification of the voters during voting. Unfortunately, when it ab- identifies, ad- identifies you, it caused the number of people who have voted. So the percentage in the claims kit was about 65 percent well, The percentage uh, the people who maybe, whose Kiemskip identifies through the fingerprint, and some people, because of the nature of the Africans, they have problems the fingerprint, so they could not be identified, they voted manually. Uh, the number was about 800,000 or something. If you tell me the total numbers of the Kiemskip, people who were identified manually, it comes to about 14.4 million. That's according to the IBC. But now, if you look at what they presented, the, website, the total number of people who turned out, like the rejected number of votes, was about vote for million. So where is the 200,000 votes? Why are they not adding up? So maybe that could be my response. What I, said.
3: I just have two very short comments. Um, I also agree that ethnicity doesn't really uh, disappear. But I have to agree with purity, and that is also the impression that many of the respondents when I was doing field work uh, in Kenya, now in June and July, have stated, (coughs) and I wonder if we're now assisting (coughs) to a sort of rural-urban divide when it comes to ethnicity. Uh, The responses I got were quite mixed in that sense that it, it may still play a big role in some constituencies in rural areas, but in urban centers such as Nairobi, Nakuru, and others, it's very mixed. And indeed, as you mentioned, people, everyone is sort of a neighbor, right? And so people live side by side in neighborhoods. There are many mixed families as well. And so the problem of, or the question of ethnicity and whether or not it is that strong of a cleavage, I think it's becoming a a more complex issue in Kenya and in particularly in urban areas. But just a, a final clarification on the violence and the events. I should pr- perhaps clarify, the data comes from A-CLAD, uh Armed Conflict Location Events Database. It's very widely used <coughs> by researchers, but also by NGOs. And what I mentioned is that there were uh, around 1,600, if not mistaken, political disorder events. Now, in that goes riots, and riots can be for everything. It can be because of you know high cost of living, but also protests and peaceful protests were included in the events many of the peaceful protests that we saw were precisely you know campaigning for peaceful elections so not all of the events that i was mentioning i I would say not the um, the majority of the events were not violence (laughs) Uh,
0: any other questions from the audience okay Uh, i have two last questions uh, before you round off. Um, the first one is uh, when I was doing research for this uh, event I read a lot about how Kenyatta has played a major role as uh, a regional diplomacy uh, broker of peace uh, involved in, in uh, negotiations in the DRC, he has also been involved in Ethiopia in, uh, in what has been happeni- happening in the country and now many people are questioning, can, can Ruto or possibly Odinga uh, take on that uh, role as a diplomatic player in the region? Uh, maybe also what can, um, if you look at the neighboring countries, uh, there was someone from Uganda on Twitter saying that, uh, <coughs> how, how <laughs> in our country we know the result of the elections uh, five years ahead of time. Uh, so, what what can the neighboring countries learn from Kenya and what they have achieved in this process? And then, maybe also, lastly, let's end on a positive note. Uh, what are the positive things? We have already touched upon many of them, but what are kind of the positive uh, developments in Kenya that uh, that create possibilities for the country uh, going
3: forward? uh, I'd say it's um, um, hard for me to tell what perhaps other countries can learn from the electoral process. I think that there's unfortunately a big difference in terms of uh, level of democracy and political systems between Kenya and other countries. Um, So there's definitely a gap, and then there's definitely something to learn. I think perhaps to learn that democracy is indeed... uh, a long process and that precisely define the national ethos is something that requires a lot of time and political effort and will. What I will say though is that the security of Kenya is of utmost importance to uh, the security picture and the sort of the political picture of Eastern Africa in general. So I think that there's also that political will it can never go back to a crisis it, because it, it means a lot where it will have implications for Ethiopia for Somalia not least for Uganda South Sudan so Kenya is definitely a, sort of a regional player for Eastern Africa and the stability of Kenya is definitely uh, needed uh, for, for Eastern Africa in general and I think that on a positive note because I do also focus on gender I think that the gender dimension of this election is definitely something that will endure and um I talked to many practitioners, young women in the field of peace building, conflict resolution, and despite the results, um, everyone was sort of, everyone felt empowered. All of the young women that I talked to felt extremely empowered to see so many uh, women vice presidency, uh, vice president candidates, so many candidates in general, female candidates. So they felt, you know, there's a purpose. I, I have... I
2: have a place and I have power in my hands. So I think that sentiment won't go away that easily. Okay, so either Rutter or Raya will continue with the rules or as a diplomat. Maybe on our side, I think Raya Lamor is a Democrat. And we believe we will ensure that it it brings peace Uh, in the country should uh, should he take over. on Ruto's side, I don't know much about him, but we have worked with him before, two or seven. But Ruto uh, is good for the camera. He can speak nice, can talk nice, but uh, out of camera, he does his own things. That's Ruto. But maybe now, when is the president, I think? I think We will try his best uh, to bring peace All the communities. Uh, we don't hate one another. These are just politics. So. It's not that we went to become president, things are going to be tough, it's, uh, it's not going to work in other communities. It's just politics after politics. We are all Kenyans. And also, maybe lessons that maybe Kenya's election uh, can show to other countries. I think we have shown the world that we know how to address uh, issues. Uh, we believe in the rule of law, uh, ask the opposition we felt that the elections are not free and fair, and we have gone uh, to the Supreme Court uh, to go there and seek justice so that maybe some of our our cries can be heard and addressed uh, by the court. So I think other countries can also follow the suit. uh, Maybe if they have elections and they feel maybe things are not free and fair, they can follow the legal system and address their issues.
1: I'm just thinking also about RUTO and... If he loses a lot of credibility from having been the subject of investigation by the ICC and the case was put aside, not for any other reason than lack of evidence. So I think that's kind of may, may hamper him vis a vis Odinga, I would think. But I'm not sure. I mean, he seems to have managed well <laughs> until now. But maybe interna- regionally and internationally, that might uh, be, uh, become a problem for him. Um, what can uh, neighboring countries learn from Kenya? Um, I don't know, but I would proposition that the high levels of literacy are so important that I remember from my youth and a freelance journalist in the 90s in, in Kenya, I have never seen such a people so interested in the news and reading newspapers and debating compared to other countries in the region that I've worked in and visited um, in, in the region. So I think it's very important for Kenya not to let that slip. Where we, where I was in Kilifi, the literacy rates were very, very low and slipping. And remember now, um, primary education and secondary education are still a national thing. At county level, I think it's kind of pre-primary or something that they have their responsibilities. So it's a national uh, responsibility to keep the high uh, um, level of education and literacy. And I think there's a risk it might slip, but I think that's one... A, cornerstone, a key ingredient of this uh, democracy we're seeing. Also, of course, Kenya has a very vibrant and dynamic civil society. I think uh, a lot of uh, <coughs> countries uh, in the neighboring uh, area are uh, a bit famous for suppressing civil society. I'm thinking of a super young democracy where I worked in, <laughs> or democracy um, South Sudan, which is really hostile to civil society. So I think that's something that neighboring countries can learn from Kenya. Um, And lastly, on a very positive note, I think, again, I'd like to underline the professionalism, and this is not just my personal opinion, but the assessment of our mission as well, the professionalism of the Election Commission in just carrying out this huge exercise that is the elections. I think that's really something uh, to applaud. Um, And I think it was very unfortunate that in the interest of being transparent, which is also important, and uploading form 34A with the presidential results from these 46,000 polling stations, uh, the the election commission made itself very vulnerable because we know the sophistication today of uh, uh, these things and the Kim's kits that you mentioned, this chunky iPad that every polling station had where you put your fingerprints um, and a class issue came in there because people who are farmers or manual workers never managed to kind of get their fingerprints uh, accepted by the Kim's kit and had to go to their ID numbers and so on. So there was a real class issue there that I think is also important. But that um, uh, pad was also used then to transmit the result. And again, all those vulnerabilities that the election commission uh, faced in this very sophisticated election technology is unfortunate because it was really in the interest of transparency. But again, underlining at least all the mechanisms to carry out the election were very, very positive and I think better than previous elections. So what can the neighboring countries learn from the Kenya election?
4: <coughs> I think um, the transparency that has been seen by the Kenyan election this time, especially from the IABC, is something that the other countries can learn, especially Uganda, we basically, If, if they say that you can actually predict the results five years to the election. It's probably true because uh, it's like the democracy there has failed. It's a dictatorial uh, system, and yeah, that is something they need to learn from seeing how transparent things are done in Kenya. That is something they can learn from from Kenya. I think also in in Tanzania there was there were issues from the last general election. There were issues that there were. Mentioning about uh, being a dictator state and, and things like that, so I think we have a regional issue of corruption generally, and some of those things really inform how things are run, like how the systems are strengthened or how the systems are run, and how uh, the government is uh, doing things to basically, um, yeah, support the society or not. So I think. That is something I personally think they can learn. But there's definitely things to improve in, in the Kenyan system as well. Uh, like what Hannah has mentioned about how the IBC basically is, is vulnerable. But at the same time, I really applaud Chebukati, he was, he's the IBC chairman. He's I, I I personally think this he has done a great job. I, I think he has done a great job. So. To end on a more positive note, um, I'm really uh, invested in women in politics in Kenya and seeing more women being voted in, it's like the trend has just been growing every time there's an election, more women join politics and seeing that representation and seeing more women in politics give me hope to know that at some point we will achieve that gender parity that we want to see women because to be honest, uh, women are—I'm being biased—but I think women are better leaders. And um, <laughs> I, I mean, in nature, women are more caring. And from my respondents, they say that, like, when you elect a woman, you basically help serve the whole society because women think about not only themselves; they think about the whole society. They think about. Uh, the men, they think about the youth, they think about generally everyone, but the men feel so individualistic, like they only think about themselves. So so I'm really happy to see more women uh, joining politics and them representing us there. It makes us feel like I, as a woman in Kenya, I feel like I can also become a politician. It's possible for me. So thank you for this forum today.
5: Okay, finally, I believe that what other countries can learn from Kenya is constitutionalism. And um, the fact that the Constitution is really playing an important role in Kenya now. And I think that's extremely important for the future. And the fact that the contending party or that the, uh, that the losing party is going to uh, the Supreme Court is a very, very good thing. Uh, that, is solve that you solved the issues, and you mentioned that, I fully agree with that. Also, the role that the civil society played, in developing a constitution and in, in training people in the constitution it's very important. Unfortunately, civil society in Kenya is, 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 is weakened and it's becoming weaker, it doesn't get the support it deserves. Uh, it used to get a lot of dollar support for that matter, which was positive, but dollars are tired and they give much less and they are so that is a bad thing. But I hope that can could be changed. Um, so, but there is a fact that, in, in, in spite of what they are saying about the Shibukati and, and the telling process and the openness and transparency of the election commission, which was amazing actually, when they announced results hour by hour and the media was able to re- report that, it might be that we don't know the whole picture yet. It might be that the IABC really didn't live up to the standards, which means that it takes a long time to develop institutions in the country. But the fact that there is, a, is a, as an institution, Supreme Court, and a constitution to guide that exercise to check that is, is, I think, perhaps one of the most important things. And I would like to end with saying that I think that the uh, modern history of Kenya, the multi-dial part of democracy of Kenya, should be very grateful to the wrong person, and as Raila um, Odinga. He has been extremely important for the development of uh, this, uh, this modern Kenya. He has, he is a real democrat, uh, he believes in human rights, <laughs> and he, he really, he is a key player. He has been extraordinary extraordinarily tactical and tactic uh, in, in his play, and he has been a stabilizing factor when there has been instability. And I, I think that we will miss Reina, he is leading politics, but he has served the country very well in very many instances. He has been into conflicts, but he's also been treated very unfairly on a couple of times that he really didn't deserve. So that's why I'm ending by saying that perhaps, I hope not, but perhaps uh, Raila is the best president Kenya never got. Thank
0: you. Uh, Thank you to everyone who showed up today to learn more about the Kenya elections and the way forward. And thank you to our amazing panelists. Um, as i said we have recorded this event so if the audio is okay it will be published as a podcast um, follow us on facebook fill out the questionnaires if you haven't um, and then i think we can all just look forward to monday to see what the supreme court will decide uh, thank you all